0: What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. i and it feels like finals week. It feels like I'm in school again. We have week one coming up extremely soon, which means everybody out there has to submit their last minute rankings, hot takes, flag plants, whatever you want to call them. Today, we're going to go over my final official top 24 running back rankings for 2022. We're not going to waste any time. We have 24 individual running backs to go through today. As always, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Man, we are dusting off the cobwebs of the tier list generator. We'll put our face about yay big for these rankings. Assume full PPR. And these are tiers again. I'm much more certain about the tiers than I am player X versus player Y. If I have two running backs in the same tier and you think they should be flopped or SWIP swapped, whatever, have at it. And our 101 as the RB1 and S tier is CMC, Christian McCaffrey. He's been my RB1 all offseason at this point. The play with CMC comes down to the fact to how, how risk adverse are you? How much can you handle risk? And then also understanding the fact that most running backs get hurt and bust. We see that every year. We saw it last year with like almost the entire top five where we saw, I believe, Henry went down, McCaffrey went down, Saquon went down. You even had uh, in the top five, like Dalvin Cook wasn't like fully healthy the entire year. Same thing with Alvin Kamara had like a knee injury. Nick Chubb missed a bunch of games. Running backs get hurt. It's the nature of the position. And when we look at really what McCaffrey's injury outlook looks like for 2022, it's not that terrible. This isn't a guy that's coming off an Achilles tear or an ACL tear. He isn't materially more likely to suffer injury than most running backs. This is a chart of players, I guess I would call it, from Dr. Edwin Porras. He's over there at Fantasy Points. He does a really cool article every year where he talks about injury volatility among each position. And he has you know the green tier, the yellow tiers, and the red tiers. McCaffrey comes in as a yellow tier in terms of injury risk he's in the same area as you know Austin Eckler Aaron Jones Saquon Barkley DeAndre Swift and he's actually less of an injury risk than guys like Dalvin Cook Leonard Fournette James Conner and Derrick Henry who are in the red tier so his injury risk really isn't that crazy I know he's been getting some bumps and bruises these past few years but it hasn't been anything so major to the point where it should give him long-term issues now Once we get out of the way that McCaffrey isn't marginally more likely for injury than most running backs anyways, we talk about the floor, which is what we're targeting with running backs. When we target running backs in these early rounds, we know most of them are getting hurt. Most of them getting injured. They're busting. So if running backs in the first round have shaky floors to begin with, we're drafting for ceiling. And last year, Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 with 21.9 points per game. CMC has a season of 29 points per game, and he has a season of about just over 24 points per game on his resume. If you had Jonathan Taylor last year and you won your league because of it, he doesn't even really touch what CMC can offer you in a given season. And it's not like he's really gone anywhere, like his talent has gone anywhere. Last year, in the games that he played over 50% of the snaps, he hit 24 or more points in all of them. Just insane stuff. Also, only two touchdowns over that span as well. He's not, he's not someone that lucks into 20-plus point performances. He's getting there on targets, right? He has 10 targets, 8 targets, 9 targets, 6 targets in these games. 100, over 100 total yards in all of them. He's insane. He's out of his mind. 9 receptions, 10 receptions. It's just a, a usage and a profile that we don't see. He's genuinely a cheat code. The play hasn't dropped off. He has to be hungry at this point where it's now two years back-to-back. He hasn't played a ton Back to college, he was an Man. He, he only missed like one game at Stanford and then like through his first three years, he never missed a game. I have to imagine that he's hungry. He's working. He's going to get back out onto the field. There's a little bit of a hand in the dirt take, but you got to think that he has a little bit, not, I don't want to say a target on his back, but he has a little bit of almost something to prove this year, which is good. You also add in the fact that he's getting a quarterback upgrade with Baker Mayfield. This offense should run a little bit smoother. And McCaffrey's one of those guys where, Your league taco gets his hands on McCaffrey, lucks into a 101-102 and gets McCaffrey. He might just get lucky enough to the point where your league taco gets carried into a fantasy finals from McCaffrey. That's the kind of difference-making upside that he has. Now, the next running back we'll talk about, RB2. In the same tier, by the way, if you want to have Jonathan Taylor 101, you can go ahead and i've been a little bit lower on jt but here's the issue i i don't get to talk about jonathan taylor a ton. that's why i really want to go in depth on these top guys here where you know when i'm doing like my breakout running backs for 2022 i don't get to talk about jonathan taylor uh and early in the season i was saying you know the ceiling isn't great he had an rb1 season or he had the lowest scoring rb1 season rb1 overall season since 2015 when devonta freeman had like 21 points per game he only had 22 points per game last season And that's the reason I haven't been crazy about him, where, yes, he was the RB1 overall, but it wasn't that legendary 20% plus win rate, 23 plus point per game type season. He was just simply the RB1 overall in a season where running back scoring was pretty weak. But I'm starting to get excited about JT. I think it's probably overconfident to say he maxed out in year two. This is just year three for, or this is about to be year three for Jonathan Taylor of a guy who just in his second year in the league is pretty much looked at as the best running back in the NFL. So if he is one of these, you know, generational type running backs like an Adrian Peterson, even like a Todd Gurley or something, the best of Jonathan Taylor is probably yet to come at this point. He has a role that can still expand. He was only eighth among running backs last year in opportunity share. And the most crucial part of his role expansion is going to be with his receiving work. He relied on a lot of efficiency, a lot of touchdowns, 20 touchdowns last year to get to that 22 point per game area. He only had 40 catches, and this is a really interesting article that Sean Siegel had. I want to say during the off season, like more towards dynasty season where he was talking through Jonathan Taylor's comps and how they progressed from a volume standpoint over their first four years. And this is his comps of, I believe Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette. And this is a chart breaking down how the volume from each of those four running backs broke down in their first four years. And this is a little bit tough to gauge, right? Where it says EP, R-U-E-P, R-E-E-P. What is EP? EP is expected points. And expected points is just based on your volume, based on your red zone usage, your goal line touches. How many fantasy points per game should you be scoring? It's just a good way to, to measure volume, right? How much fantasy points are you expected to score based on how many times you touch the football? So it kind of, you know, it equally weighs like uh, targets and carries the way that they should be weighed. And when you break it down, we have ep which is just expected points but he breaks it down here so you have rushing expected points and receiving expected points red is rushing green is receiving so you can kind of see how his volume or how these comps volume shakes out and when we look at year three that's where not only ep peaks right so the blue bar but we see a big jump in the green bar for receiving which means if jt is on this path of you know zeke fournette all of these guys even fournette who didn't have a great receiving profile coming out of school Still managed, I mean, on the, on the Bucks last year, I think that he led the league in targets. So you can get a guy like Jonathan Taylor where in year three, you could really come out of nowhere, catch a lot of passes, right? All of these running backs saw a big uptick, not only in overall volume, but in receiving volume. So there's reason to believe that Jonathan Taylor could see the most volume he's ever seen this year, plus more receiving work. And then you even have that showing itself on his team where they bring in Matt Ryan who's going to check down and give it to the running backs more which is really only talking about Naeem Hines which sure that'll help out Naeem Hines more check downs whatever but it's also going to help out Jonathan Taylor where you're not going to have Carson Wentz like breaking out of the pocket extending plays doing like weird stuff um, you're gonna have Matt Ryan sitting there go through his reads all he's looking at is Michael Pittman and you have like Campbell and stuff Alec Pierce he might just check it down to Jonathan Taylor a bunch so I think that there is real upside for Jonathan Taylor to not just max out at his 22 points per game last year There's a world out there where Jonathan Taylor and McCaffrey both play 17 games and Jonathan Taylor outscores McCaffrey. That's not out of the, you know, that's not out of the cards where maybe McCaffrey averages like 24 points per game. And we see just a, you know, Adrian Peterson-esque like 24.5 point per game type season from Taylor. Again, only was in year two last year. I have a hard time saying that he bottomed out or, you know, maxed out at that output. He's the best running back in football at this point. If his volume goes up, so should his points. Now, that brings us to the next tier, and I'm very firm on those top two running backs being like the clear, you know, head and shoulders above the rest, 101, 102 type picks, 20 plus point per game. You can pretty much lock them in for that, and then we have running backs who have that same path to legendary upside, but much shakier floors, and then there's Eckler. Eckler doesn't really fit that profile of the rest of these running backs in A tier, And unlike Jonathan Taylor, I think Eckler probably did max out at like his 21.5 points per game last year. He had 70 catches, he had 20 touchdowns, and he still couldn't break through to a 20% win rate to, you know, 23 plus point per game like we're looking for from these league winning legendary type backs. So why do I have him so high? Why is my, why is he my RB3? And this is where I I really go back and forth with Eckler, man, because I don't like playing at running back floor plays. But Eckler has a really high floor, man. Eckler his role is more secure than most. He led the league in high value touches last year, which is receptions and touches inside of the 10. You know, we want goal line. We want receiving work. He gets both of those on what is a top five scoring offense tied to Justin Herbert. So he has a lot going for him. Plus he's still talented. He's still very efficient. He was extremely efficient last year. And of course it's not sticky year to year, but he's one of these anomalies, right? Where we have Eckler, we have Aaron Jones, we have Kamara, where they maintain efficiency, which is why they can just catch so many passes not even reach a thousand rushing yards and still give you 20 plus points per game so his floor is really high again I think he's still talented he's attached to Justin Herbert I think you can almost pencil him in for 19.5 points per game and I think you can you can maybe start to paint legendary upside or maybe he gets like 20 touchdowns again and he gets more volume where Spiller is not going to be there right so Isaiah Spiller has some kind of knee injury ankle injury going on I think it's ankle injury And maybe that opens things up for him more between the tackles. Maybe Keenan Allen declines a little bit and Ecklars to pick up his slack in the receiving game. Last year wasn't his, last year wasn't his biggest season. It, It was his biggest season from a point per game perspective, but it wasn't his biggest season from a receiving perspective. He actually had more receptions and more targets in his season in 2019, where he like, I think he kind of opened the gate where melvin gordon was holding out and then melvin gordon came back and even then he had more receptions then so maybe he could get back to there but you can say you know 2019 i believe you had philip rivers at that point so maybe that's not in the cards with somebody like a herbert we'll see i i don't think his upside is is as much in the cards as the rest of the running backs in a tier in terms of getting like that 23 plus point per game area but they all have so many question marks that eckler feels so cozy as that rb3 i have a really hard time like if you Give me the option on the clock of Eckler versus these next guys who I do love, right? I love Saquon. That's going to be our RB four here. I have a really hard time taking Saquon over Eckler when I'm on the clock, when I'm in real time. And I try to make my rankings as true to my picks as possible, by the way these rankings the complete rankings i probably should have said it before i got into these will be on patreon patreon.com slash ron stewart you have my entire top 200 and half ppr and full ppr you get my in-season weekly fab guidance you get my in-season weekly rankings weekly uh rest of season rankings a lot of cool stuff on there and then on top of that this is a big goal but if we get to 1,000 patrons right now i believe we're like 200 ish away by the first nfl sunday that saturday i will pick a random patron and we will hop on stream and draft a 1000 dollars high stakes team together the buy-in will be completely covered by me and we'll split the winnings halfway or 50-50. I think that'll be really fun. Now, when we talk about Saquon, he's been my guy all offseason. And he is somebody that I think outside of those top two, I think that he is the he has the clearest path to that legendary upside of 23 plus points per game. We know Saquon is an elite talent with crazy upside. He was the second overall pick in an era of the NFL where It's really rare to see running backs go that high. I think, of course, he's the last running back to get drafted in the top five, I believe. As a true rookie, he put up a 24-point-per-game season on a 21% target share. Insane. Kamara led the NFL last year in target share with 20%. JT led the league in fantasy points-per-game last year with 22 points-per-game. Saquon beat both of those marks as a true rookie, catching passes from Eli Manning. Insane, guys. Like... it's insane what he did in that rookie year. And I know that that's three to four years removed now. But those years were plagued by Jason Garrett, Joe Judge, Ben McAdoo. He's still just 25. I have to believe that the freak athlete, the generational prospect that was Saquon Barkley can bounce back. He's only 25. You have to imagine that, you know, like his, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. So like the tissue and the tendons, they have to be, you know, elastic at this point and in healing and everything correctly. I just think that, if he was going to bounce back, it would be now. And I'm really bullish on this offense where they bring in Ryan Dabble, who's amazing. He's one of those guys that I think is one of the needle movers at coach. I think there's very few of them where you have, you know, you, the the Shanahans of the world, you have the uh, McVays of the world. I'd put Dabble in that conversation, and he's going to. Crank up the pass rate. He's going to bring more modern concepts. We're going to see pre snap motion. We're going to see three to four wide receiver sets. We're going to see Saquon in the slot. We're already seeing that in practice where Saquon's going to be out there in the slot and you like Wandell Robinson in the backfield. He's drawn up a bunch of stuff. The offense is going to run smoother. It's going to be great. There's going to be 11 personnel. It's going to be beautiful. I think that with this receiver room where Galladay looks awful, Tony is always banged up. You have Wandell Robinson who's only a rookie saquon barkley's drawing live to lead this team in targets which is really really interesting i think he's a smash pick anywhere in the late first does come with its, its risk which is why i like Eckler is more of a cozy pick but if you want to put saquon as your rb3 you can go ahead i am extremely tempted to every night i have to lock myself into bed like moon night so i don't put saquon any higher than he already is next guy we'll talk about deandre swift rb5 man so we are only four through four running backs and this is already 15 minutes in this is going to be Long haul, boys, but we have DeAndre Swift, and Swift is a little bit more of a mystery box than Saquon. But I like the idea of leaning into a 23 year old back, heading into year three. It's a good profile that we like to target. And when we look at his receiving profile, that's when things get juicy. He put up 18.2% target share last year, second in the NFL, only behind Kamara in just year two. He was ahead of guys like Eckler, Jones, all those guys, catching a lot of passes. Now, he only finished at the RB8 last year in points per game, which is like, if you haven't missed the RB5, that's a little bit high, but I don't think that does him justice. In the 11 games prior to him getting hurt on Thanksgiving Day, he averaged 18.5 points per game, which would have been the RB3 in points per game. He came back for a couple games at the back half of the year, and that skews his points per game number, but through those first 11 weeks before his injury, he was really, really solid. On top of that, he had 18.5 points per game, but only six touchdowns in that span. The offense is going to score more points. The offensive line is even better. This is a report from PFF where they have the line's offensive line ranked third in the NFL. You got Taylor Decker, Ragnow, Penny Sewell. You got Jonah Jackson. This is a really sweet offensive line that might just produce more points. I think that this team in general is going to be better this year. You have Goff going into year two under the system. The wide receivers are better. They bring in Chark, Amon Ross St. Brown in year two. I think this offense should score more. It should be more efficient. And I think Swift gets there on you know a 20 percent plus target share and like 11 touchdowns probably gets him into that range that we're looking for in year three next up we have dalvin cook and dalvin cook is a tough one man he has been somebody that i i I can't figure out and i still don't have it figured out his profile is scary uh, up top 27 year old running back coming off his worst season of his entire career or his worst season since his second season in like twenty eighteen. So the worst season that he's had since he's been like a bona fide RB1 in the NFL. He was only at a fifteen point nine point per game clip as the RB9 after back-to-back 20 plus point per game ceiling, or point per game seasons. A down year this late into a running back's career is really dangerous. But the ceiling is there. I think that there's there's two scenarios here for Dalvin Cook. We know efficiency is st- not sticky year to year, but it is over the it is over the course of an entire player's career. Where you know like Eckler, Kamara, all those guys will have super crazy efficiency spike seasons. Dalvin Cook is in play for that this year, and he could you know just bounce back, still be Dalvin Cook, still be really efficient as one of the best between the tackles runners in the NFL. Or he could be like Ezekiel Elliott last year, where he's old, he's dusty, doesn't have it anymore, and he gives you like 15 points per game. So there's two things you're holding on to here with Dalvin cook. We don't know yet. If he comes out here and gives another dud and he's dusty, then there is no, Oh, well he was efficient three years ago. No, that three years ago, Dalvin cook doesn't exist anymore. At this point, we can say maybe 2020 Dalvin cook could still come out in a revamped offense under O'Connell. So all of that is still in play. It is just tougher for me to see. That's why I have Saquon and Swift ahead of him. Then we have RB seven, Derrick Henry, also an eight tier. This is just a big fat tier of, again, guys with shaky floors that i think have legendary upside i wouldn't really put swift and eckler in there uh those guys are really more volume concerns than they are shaky floor but with derrick henry we talked about this yesterday on my early round fades video he's somebody that i think a lot of people will say have legendary upside you know have that 24 plus point per game or 23 plus point per game he hit that last year i right? hit 24.2 points per game but this is the issue for me i i just i have a hard time factoring that in to his upside equation because when we look at his last three seasons so 2019 to 2021 where he was a bona fide top five running back in fantasy he goes from 2019 where he breaks out at 19.6 points per game on 14.7 weighted opportunities per game then he goes to 2020 he bumps that up to just shy of 21 points per game with 17.2 weighted opportunities per game and this is a year that he hit 2,000 rushing yards in a 16-game season, and he still couldn't crack that 23-plus point-per-game area. Then you have last year, 2021. He goes, the the volume that he needed for a 2,000-yard rushing season was something like 378 carries. And you're now bumping that up from 17.2 weighted opportunities per game to 20.4. And I know the target share went up, but not marginally enough to the point where that's that's not three whole weighted opportunities per game. So you give him that volume, yes, he's going to give you the crazy 24-point-per-game ceiling, but as we saw, he only lasted eight games. I don't know that you can jack him up to 20.4 weighted opportunities per game, and that can sustain for an entire season. So if that can't sustain for an entire season, I don't know how he hits 24 points per game over 10-plus games. That's where it gets tough for me. So when we look at 2022, Mike Clay has his projection— at 18 points per game, 17.6 weighted opportunities. And I think that that is probably fair. We'll probably see his weighted opportunities fall somewhere between that 20.4 and that 17.2. Clay has it more skewed towards 2020, but it wouldn't shock me at all to see it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it gets like 18.5, but even then, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's enough for him to get to 23-plus. Even still, I have him in A-tier. I think he's fine. I will say that the floor is is really tough. Uh, You know, about to turn 29 has like 1,600 total career touches. Has a metal plate and several screws in his foot. It's not great. Now he is Derrick Henry. He is a unicorn. I have to respect that. That's why he is in a tier as my RB seven. But this whole uh, you know ESPN sleeper Yahoo all has him as top five picks on their platforms. Could not be me. Could not imagine taking him over Chase Jefferson Cup. Couldn't imagine taking him over uh, Eckler. Could not imagine even taking him over like Saquon. Uh, so I don't really end up with a ton of Derrick Henry because he never makes it back to me at where I have him ranked at 112 i haven't ranked as my 112 as the rb7 which i think is fair i think that's fair man he got hurt last year he's a huge injury risk um but now we have the next guy and we're going to talk about alvin kamara and this one's pretty straightforward it just comes down to you know either he plays and he smashes or his weird looming suspension catches up with him and whether that's you know four to six games out the gate or he crushes for you all season and then you know maybe that suspension comes week like eight or like week you know 13 to 18 and that would be really scary. So that's really the riskier like the shaky floor with Kamara, but outside of that I think he's a great pick or a, a, just a great profile. Like if he didn't have the suspension going on, like I, I would almost make the case for him as like my RB3. I think you could. Uh he had a down year last year, but he was still top 5 in points per game. Efficiency should bounce back. He was also dealing with a knee injury. I'm a little bit more forgiving towards him than Dalvin Cook where things just didn't go right in this offense last year he lost Jameis mid-year he got that injury he also has a more he also has a workload that lends itself more to those legendary running back seasons where he's a guy that doesn't even need to get to a thousand rushing yards to get there dalvin cook needs to be like top three running back in the nfl to get there whereas kamara can just score touchdowns and catch passes uh this offense is kind of interesting this year where they have Jameis winston healthy now they have michael thomas apparently healthy now jarvis landry olave this is the seventh best offensive line on uh i think it's brandon warns brandon Thorne's uh offensive line rankings on established to run so it's a really interesting setup here i think kamara you could even make the case to have him you can make the case even with the suspension to put him wherever you want in this a tier then we have B tier, who i'll call these are running backs that you know the legendary upside is there but you either have to really squint to see it or the floor is lower than the running backs ahead and that's what we'll look at with Najee first and Najee's tough dude where He is a running back I should like, right? He is like a ETN, like a Javante, where he's a year two running back. He can catch passes, and that should be really interesting. The issue is for me is I don't think he has that same profile as Javante or ETN. He doesn't have that same juice where he had in terms of expected points per game. So this is the same uh, metric we used with Jonathan Taylor in terms of expected output just based on your volume. He was expected for 18.7 points per game based on his volume, based on his goal line workload. He only got to 17.7 last year. So that's minus one fantasy points over expected per game. That is awful. Like That is very bad. That is outside the top 100 running backs on Rotoviz. That is also the only running back among the top 12 to like 15 running backs in points per game to have minus one or worse in FPOE per game. It's not good. He also was 28th in breakaway runs last year. He's this big, slow, like 230, 240 pound back. It's not a profile that lends itself to those big, you know, crazy, eruption type seasons and the only way you can really save that if you don't have the efficiency from long plays and just being good you need touchdowns to get there the issue is that this offense isn't great they have the 32nd offensive line ranked on established the run you have Trubisky and Pickett at QB I just don't think it's in the cards for him but I'm not so certain it's on the cards for him to the point where I'm going to rank him way too low I think this is a, a spot where I'm comfortable with RB9 I'm not ending up with him a ton if he proves me wrong and he comes out here and he has like the RB1 overall season, fine, whatever. Uh, I just have a really hard time seeing how that happens. I think that he'll be fine. He'll be, you know, a volume type guy, kind of like a, a Fournette last year. I think he probably maxes out like 18 to 19 points per game, like a Fournette, and that's pretty much all he is. Uh so that's just not a profile like picking like where he goes in most leagues, which is like 108, 109. Then we have Aaron Jones. And Jones is someone who is kind of a fade for me coming out, but He's definitely grown on me this season where, you know, I thought people were sort of overstating the splits without Devontae Adams. And then you have AJ Dillon growing roles. So you kind of have this two-way touch squeeze for Aaron Jones. And I'm sort of coming around on him where Green Bay is devoid of playmakers. Their best talents on offense is Aaron Rodgers, obviously, Aaron Jones, and AJ Dillon. I think the points are going to funnel through those two running backs sort of like Ingram and Kamara have been in the past or Ingram and Kamara on those Saints teams like 2017, 2018. And I do think that Aaron Jones can pay off his, at his ADP without an A.J. Dillon injury. I think that he can get to, you know, 80 plus targets, mixing in some carries, getting his crazy touchdown efficiency that he always has. So he can get you like, you know, 80 plus targets and like 10 plus touchdowns and get you there. He also has scorched earth, like contingency upside where no other running back you can say this about in his range, where if A.J. Dillon goes down, I think aaron jones is probably my rb3 would maybe even be rb3 and s tier aaron jones you can't say the same about Najee harris if, if benny snell or jalen warren go down nope same thing with derrick henry if what De- don hilliard or hassan haskins go down no same thing with dalvin cook or if madison goes down so aaron jones has this trapdoor upside to go from b tier all the way to here that's something that's pretty rare and as much as it's oh okay it's a it's an injury if we are valuing that upside in handcuffs we should also be valuing that upside in running backs now it's not so much so to the point where i have him like an eight tier, and i'm pushing him all the way up in case of aj Dillon goes down but it's something to factor into his projection at some point then we have javante williams as our rb11 here and this is a profile I bet on every time 22 year old running back heading into year two has juice he broke a tackle on 31 percent of his carries last year on pff that's like the highest mark ever on their website he did that as a rookie he also had a sneaky high target share 10.2 percent target share He can catch passes. He has juice. The upside is clearly there. And his role should increase in year two. We see this all the time with rookie or running backs going into year two. We saw with JT last year where he went from a 48.1% opportunity share to a 68.6% opportunity share. Not saying it's going to go exactly that way, but just want to highlight what that looks like. Where even JT, who was really skilled coming out in year one, got under 50% of the carries, under 50% of the opportunities, and then got a pretty big jump in year two. So I expect Javante to go from what was a pretty clean 50 50 split last year to a 60 40 split. And that might be all Javante really needs in the context of a Russell Wilson offense. And then he, like Aaron Jones, has that crazy upside where if Melvin Gordon goes down, Javante probably goes to like here. Now, we have our next tier. And these are just two running backs priced as top two round running backs. I don't really think have any possibility of that 23 plus point per game season. And that's why I have them pushed back as like two, three turn picks for me. Uh, First one, people are not going to like this. We have Mixon. And... He hit a career high in points per game last year at 18 points per game. And here's the two main issues. He ran hot on touchdowns with 16. He still couldn't offer you over 20-plus points per game. And his receiving work has completely stalled out. This is a guy, and I will go to bat for Mixon every single year. Says every single year. His receiving profile in college was up against the DeAndre Swifts, the Kamaras of the world, the Aaron Joneses of the world, All of those guys who have like 15% plus target shares, Mixon had that same profile in college. I have no clue why it didn't translate. I have genuinely no clue. I think it was a mix of coaching and just a mix of getting drafted to a team with Giovanni Bernard on it already. But he just hasn't been able to catch passes in the NFL. He didn't even set a career high in receptions last year despite having a career year. He only had 42 catches. So it's really tough. He's not going to see any more receiving work. He already pretty much maxed out his touchdowns. Maybe he gets to like 20. Maybe he gets like 20 touchdowns. He sees some more efficiency from their sort of new revamped O-line, but I think you're having a lot of wishful thinking there. He just feels like a high-floor running back, and I don't really gun for those guys unless if the floor is almost in that 20-point-per-game range, kind of like an Eckler. Then we have Fournette. Similar story here, uh, but a better cost than Mixon, where Mixon's a 1-2-turn guy. I think Fournette's priced fine. He's like a 2-3-turn guy. I'll take him there occasionally. And he has a really valuable role, like Eckler, but I think he's less talented, Fournette, where he is goal line back passing down back on a top five offense that's all you really need again the issue is upside he had a career year last year topped out at 18.3 points per game he would need a lot more volume he would need a lot more touchdown luck to get to that you know 21 22 point per game area i'm just not in the business of betting on touchdown luck now we have d tier and we're going to talk about dude they did etn dirty with this picture I, i remember comments on the last one i did but this picture on etn is tough dude he looks like uh, he looks like when Sheen and Jimmy Neutron got like that big ass head, and started like taking over the world and stuff. Just a tough look for my boy Etienne. But he's been my guy this offseason. He's my RB fourteen and he's in this weird tier of, you know, dead zone-ish running backs, but he's the one guy I have no problem drafting in the dead zone. He's going into year two, he's unproven, that's a profile we really like targeting in the dead zone where His discount or his price being in the dead zone is from uncertainty because he hasn't done it yet because of the injury in year one, not because he's washed, he's old, and he's getting, he's in a touch squeeze, right? And Etienne, yes, is a black box, or Etienne, I don't know why I said Etienne. Etienne is a black box, but his rookie profile is really, really strong. Where this is my prospect database, right? And I have uh, prospect grades out of 10 for every running back drafted since 2007 only 15 running backs have a nine or better grade out of 10 Etienne is one of them he is in the same breath in terms of prospect as saquon or not saquon mccaffrey elliott those guys are in my legendary tier but in terms of elites with nine plus you have fournette cook ap mixon trent richardson who's the only bust on this list everyone else has top five seasons then you have melvin gordon derrick henry jt mcfadden todd Gurley, chris johnson it's a really 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 solid list of running backs that's how good of a prospect he is You, you have to remember He's a 5'10, 215 running back with 4'4'5 speed. And he was drafted in the first round during an era in the NFL where that's really rare. We saw prospects like JT, Swift, Brees Hall all go in the second round. Even other elite running backs in this area, you know, Mixon, Derrick Henry went in the second round. He looks really good. And I know that we're really banking on just like prospecting and stuff we don't have anything to go off of in year one but I do think that he has a ton of juice he has this home run hitting type profile he catches passes and you have the situation where Trevor Lawrence had an awful year last year I have to imagine that with Doug Peterson with Travis Etienne he wants to at least scheme in some way some way having some kind of familiarity on this offense where I have to remember all of these guys are new right Christian Kirk is going to be new for him Zay Jones is going to be new for him Evan Ingram is going to be new for him he's a second year quarterback trying to not be a bust at this point Give him you know, his college running back, Etn in the backfield so that he has a guy he's comfortable with in terms of protections, in terms of checkdowns, in terms of screens. They're going to be on the same page at at all times, which is what you want for your rookie – or not your rookie quarterback, but your franchise quarterback in what is going to be a pivotal year. So I'm all in on Travis Etienne. Next up, we have James Conner. And Conner is my RB15. He's someone I've cooled off on. I used to have him going into the season. I had him, like, here. You know, I had him right next to Fortnite. I think he's in that next tier. Uh, And I was under the assumption that he was going to have – Really big receiving role, right? Where Chase Edmonds was hurt for five games last year. In those five games, Eno Benjamin was a no show and Connor was on pace for 95 targets, which is really, really strong. Now we have reports coming out that say Darrell Williams or Eno Benjamin will be inheriting a good chunk of that Chase Edmonds role, which leads me to, to believe that James Connor isn't going to be that all purpose bell cow. And if he's just going to be the goal line back in the between the 20s, back. You're banking on a lot of touchdowns for that to pay off. I'd rather not bet on that. So for me, with a six-year running back that has a ton of injury issues, I'd rather play that Arizona backfield through Eno Benjamin or Darrell Williams. Then we have Chubb. And people are going to hate where I have Chubb here. But let me, get off, let me get off my chest right out of the way. Chubb is amazing. He's an extremely talented running back. He's a top three to five running back in real life. But for fantasy, it's just not a profile that I'm really interested in. And you can blame that on Kevin Stefanski, not me. If I was the coach, I would give him bell cow workloads but he doesn't. He suffered around 15 points per game, which is pretty much replaceable off waivers. He's in a touch squeeze with Kareem Hunt, and he has a lack of pass catching upside. He doesn't catch a ton of passes. And even in the world, right, where Kareem Hunt gets traded or he gets cut, and that was an upside case scenario, kind of like, you know, Aaron Jones and Javante, where they have that contingency upside where if, if one of their running back uh, counterparts go down, they have crazy upside. But it's not really like that for chubb where we've seen now seven games over the past two years where kareem hunt does not suit up and in both of those games or in seven of those games he averaged about 16 rush attempts and about one to two targets the same that he was averaging in 19 games with kareem hunt so they don't increase his usage they also have dearness johnson there who is a damn good running back himself he was first among all running backs in pff grade last year so he doesn't have that scorched earth upside and he doesn't have a great offense where he can benefit from a bunch of touchdowns. Cause now uh, Jimmy Garoppolo signed an extension with Sam Fran, Deshaun Watson's not going to be there until like week 13. It's just not a bet I want to make again. If I was Stefanski, I would give Nick Chubb, you know, his 20 touches per game. And that would be that, but that's just not the, the world we live in. Then we have Brees Hall at the, I believe this is maybe, no, no, no. We have two more running backs in this tier, but we have Brees Hall here. And people are, you know, cooling on Brees Hall right now because Michael Carter got, uh, you know, sort of pumped up as the week one starter. But the reason that we draft Brees Hall is that we think that he's talented, that he can unseat Michael Carter as the RB1 and be a late season hammer as all rookie running backs are. This is a really good chart from Jack Miller where we see rookie running backs backload their points as opposed to veterans who just have a straight green line. So, yes, the first few weeks, the first six weeks might not be great from Brees Hall, but you're drafting him. So, weeks nine on, maybe he's like the RB7, right? Sort of like Jonathan Taylor in that rookie year. And it also matches up really well with the Jets schedule where I think this is something that people don't really look at. But as a Jets fan, this is something I'm, I'm very aware of just because of how – dude, we got we got shafted on this schedule, dude. Look at this. We got – NFC or AFC North our first four games so Baltimore Cleveland Cincinnati Pittsburgh then we have Green Bay at Green Bay at Denver and then we have Buffalo into the bye. the only winnable games there are the Dolphins and the, the Patriots who are probably going to kill us anyways and I guess the Steelers but things really lighten up after the bye. where by the way these are projected these are Vegas win totals uh, what I have on like the right side of this chart after the buy, it lightens up a little bit. Where We have like Chicago, and then the playoff stretch is insanely juicy. And I don't know why they stack the schedule like this. It's very weird. But then you have Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle. These are not only teams that are going to let them have positive game scripts, but these are teams, all of them weren't great against the run last year in terms of fantasy points per game. I will say, you know, points allowed to running back isn't super sticky year to year, but it's worth noting. So the schedule kind of lines up not only for his playoff run but for his rookie profile someone that's going to be better down the stretch you know they might come out in a rough patch of games against the Browns against the the Ravens the Bengals the Pittsburgh Steelers Michael Carr doesn't look great in those games and then Brees Hall comes in right when that you know schedule lightens up a little bit then he earns the workload there and that seeps into a really really soft playoff stretch so there's a lot of upside case scenarios for Brees Hall and as much as people think that you know Michael Carter's the one. It's Michael Carter's job. Michael Carter isn't that great. He's a day three running back. He kind of reminds me as like a Devin Singletary, Zach Moss type of guy. And we're already getting some good signs on Brees Hall. Again, it's not going to be week one. It's not going to be week one. And I'm not even shocked that Michael Carter was the running back one on the depth chart. I'm not sure that why that was such like massive news. It's the same. It's the same way that like Garrett Wilson is the wide receiver four behind Corey Davis, or Traylon Burks is the wide receiver four behind Nick westbrook akine or. Justin Jefferson is the wide receiver three behind Ola B.C. Johnson. We get these reports all the time. Rookies, once push comes to shove and these games happen, you're, you're not starting them week one. You're hoping that they climb up the rankings. And Michael Carter and Brees Hall split time pretty evenly in this last preseason game. So it was a dress rehearsal against the Giants on Sunday. And Carter started the game for the Jets. This is from Nathan Jonkey on PFF. It says Carter started the game for the Jets and had more playing time than rookie Bryce Hall, Hall, but the gap between them tightened compared to the first preseason game. Carter played seven snaps with the starters in their first game compared to two by Hall. The two both saw playing time on the first two drives. Then Hall received the third down and Carter the fourth, or the third drive and Carter the fourth. Neither back played once the backups came in. There was a tendency for Carter to play on passing snaps and Hall to play on rushing snaps, but Hall played on more third downs while Carter played on more early downs. Hall can be expected to see a higher percentage of snaps as time goes on. And the fact that Hall played more on third downs means he could be he could take both early and late down work, which is massive, guys. The fact that they almost see Carter as a better pure rusher right now is huge for Brees Hall because if Brees Hall can even wrangle like 50% of the long down distance, third down, uh, two-minute drill stuff, and then eventually wrestle away the between-the-tackle stuff from Michael Carter, that's really solid. Because prior to me even reading this, I was honestly expecting more so... It'd be Brees between the the tackles and you know the goal line and stuff and then Michael Carter and receiving situations, but it seems like the door is open for Brees Hall to take all of it if he is that talented. And that's the bet we're making when we draft Brees Hall. Now the next guy we'll talk about here, Akers. And I want to be on Akers I want to be in on Akers so bad, guys. Um, I'm just a little bit hesitant. The Achilles injury is really tough, dude. We haven't really seen somebody come back from an Achilles injury and be great. I will say he returned after six months, was in the playoffs. McVay gave him a McVay workload where he had 19.3 combined carries and targets per game in the playoffs. Yes, he was inefficient, but he was fresh off an Achilles tear playing against playoff caliber defenses. So I think you have to throw him a little bit of a bone there. I am still worried about long-term, you know, is his explosiveness still there? Is he still the same player? We've also never seen K-makers be good for an entire year. So it's still not even set in stone that he is a great running back, if that makes sense. So There's a lot of question marks here. It's why I have him at RB18. Again, he's someone I want to draft because McVeigh is going to feed him if he is Cam Akers. And if that happens, he's going to be like a top 12 running back pretty easily. There is just inherently a lot of risk there. Not really a target or fade for me, but somebody I'm trying to mix in more. Then we have E tier. And this is my ideal running back tier to target in zero RB builds in that, you know, round six, round seven area. And the first guy we'll talk about in E tier is JK, J.K. Dobbins. And again, like Akers, I want to be in on Dobbins, but the ACL isn't great. We also have an update from Dr. Edwin Porras saying Dobbins, to our knowledge, is still not taking contact and is only participating in individual drills. He is highly volatile for week one and at this point should only be viewed as a highly volatile RB2. Dobbins is highly unlikely to hit a ceiling in 2022, but could provide some assistance in the back half of the season. So it's tough, man. He's not practicing fully at this point. Week one seems like a long shot at this point. You're sort of just drafting him for the back half of the season, kind of like a Brees Hall, but you'd hope that he plays at some point. You're also, as much as you're betting on the talent Brees Hall, what if Dobbins just isn't the same guy one year back from the ACL like we see, you know, all the time with these guys coming back from the ACL. So it's tough. Outside of that, it's a great profile, young running back, ton of juice. He's going to benefit from whatever efficiency Lamar brings to this offense in this form of scoring touchdowns, and then also in the form of Lamar freezing linebackers and giving J.K. Dobbins, you know, five-plus yards per carry. So he can get there. He's interesting. He is truly boomer bust. I think seventh round, he's a no-brainer. Sixth round, there's still some wide receivers in that area that give me some pause. Then we have A.J. Dillon. And this has been somebody that, again, I can't seem to get a ton of. A lot of you sickos out there are drafting like the, the fifth round. I can't do it. Six, seven turn. If he gets a six, seven turn in a draft, I would like to take him. And I've taken him a little bit on underdog. But in like high stakes redraft managed leagues, it's been extremely tough to get him. Now I think it's lazy to view AJ Dillon as a pure handcuffed Aaron Jones. I have talked about it before, but in terms of weighted opportunities per game, I projected these out using my plays projections. He's projected for 11.1 weighted opportunities per game. That's in the area of you know Chase Edmonds, uh, Kareem Hunt, or Andre Stevenson, other guys in his area. It's a little bit less than the guys that are right next to him, you know, like the Ezekiel Elliotts and David Montgomerys of the world. But for what you're sacrificing in that weighted opportunities per game, you have insane upside. Now, what I will say about A.J. Dillon is that I don't think that it is fair to say that, you know, why would we draft A.J. Dillon? Just go draft Alexander Madison if you want to handcuff. Again, Alexander Madison, 7.7 weighted opportunities per game is his projection, according to Clay, whereas A.J. Dillon is 11.1. That's much more of a standalone role than Matt Madison. Now, you have to remember, in terms of Dillon, Aaron Jones has never been a bell cow. He's hovered around 50 to 60% of the opportunities. I think Dillon and Jones can pay off similar to Kamara and Ingram, like we said earlier in those 2017-2018 years, and... There's going to be enough touchdowns to go around. Again, I think that Aaron Jones can just catch a ton of passes and be insanely efficient on his touchdowns. And then A.J. Dillon could probably get the goal line work, the between-the-20s carries, and pay off that way with, like, 10-plus touchdowns. Last year, when Aaron Jones came back from injury, A.J. Dillon was the de facto goal line back, where he saw 22 red zone touches from Week 12 on, and Aaron Jones only saw eight. So I think that Aaron Jones will still be efficient on his red zone, uh, you know, green zone-type touches, but I think that Dillon is drawing live for, like, 200 carriers and like 10 plus touchdowns was i think in this offense and his efficiency just has like a 6'4 247 pound 98th percentile athlete uh, unicorn he has that upside and then on top of that i didn't even mention it but he has scorched earth upside where if aaron jones goes down if aaron jones goes down aj dylan goes here um then we have f tier which are like fringe rb2 types most of these are fades depends on the price Zeke Elliott's tough, man. I I, I don't see uh, why anybody would draft him, like, the third, fourth area, like, where he goes. I know that he might finish as an RB1, but we talk about it all the time. RB1, you know, that 15-point-per-game production is extremely replaceable. He doesn't really have upside for more than that. He has nothing but downside as well, where setting into year seven, we're taking on a lot of touches at this point, over, like, 1,800 career touches, Last two years, he's been less efficient than Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard, it finally seems like Tony Pollard is going to take away the passing down work where it's been this common misconception where Tony Pollard has seen as a satellite back and Zeke Elliott, the between the tackles guy, but Zeke Elliott has actually been dominating the long down and distance in the two minute drill snaps, uh, which I actually have, I had saved for my Pollard blurb, but you can see here, this is from week two through week four. So this is when Zeke Elliott was healthy before his PCL thing. And you can see he was having 95% of the two minute drill snaps, 76% of the long down and distance snaps. So Zeke Elliott was, you know, the goal line back. He was the between the tackles back. He was the receiving back. And Pollard was just kind of a change of pace guy. But I think that changes this year. There's been a lot of reports that Pollard is taking that satellite role. He's going out of the slot. And when you have that taken away from Zeke, you're just looking at a classic 15-point-per-game projection where there's not a ton of upside. I mean, maybe he scores a ton of touchdowns. Again, I don't like betting on that. And I think there's just better... Profiles in that early fourth area where you have Deontay Johnson, McLaurin, Hollywood Brown, Judy that you're passing up on for a back that you can kind of replace off waivers. Then we have Clyde. Uh, not somebody that I like to be high on, but he's RB22. This, it, this ADP is probably wrong when we look back at it, where we've seen some silly. Uh, you know, Chiefs ADPs, where we've seen first round CH last year, we saw or no, we saw first round CH his rookie year, we saw second round CH last year, we saw in 2019, Damian Williams was a third rounder, we saw in 2017, Spencer Ware was a fifth rounder, which then brings us to CH is going the seventh, eighth round, which I think on principle, you just have to take that at this point, CH should probably be like a dead zone back in like the fifth, sixth round, but you're getting a big discount on him because people burned him. And as much as I don't love his talent, He's going to be featured in a top-five scoring offense on the Chiefs. And we have a situation here where it seems like the backfield right now, this is from a 53-man roster projection, but as of right now, it seems like he will be in a three-man backfield with Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. And if that happens, Pacheco is just going to be the special teams guy, change of pace. McKinnon will handle the third down and distance and the uh, two-minute drill snaps. And then Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to be the between-the-20s guy and the goal line back. And on this offense, that's really interesting. And that's all there really is to say about Clyde. Then we have Pollard, who I have is my RB23. And I love Pollard this year, man. I'm trying to get more of him. Again, you are pushing out to like the, the late sixth, early seventh. But again, this is not a pure handcuff. This is even running backs that are more in his area, right? So Kareem Hunt, Andre Stevenson, Chase Edmonds all go around Tony Pollard. Now, Pollard has less weighted opportunities per game, but it's not a ton, and he has way more upside. Than most of those guys where if Ezekiel Elliott goes down he is Zeke Elliott goes down and he's here he's a you know a top 12 running back pretty easily in that scenario but I think he even has standalone upside where again Mike Clay hasn't projected for a similar amount of touches as guys that go in his area and again Zeke Elliott has been the pass catching back on this team and if that flips and Pollard is now the pass catching back on this team and he, re- he remains the change of pace back once you add all those targets to Pollard's profile on a team that's going to be like a top ten scoring offense, you're looking at a very Kamara-esque profile where you can see, you know, Kamara go out there, catch passes, be really efficient, and that'll get him there. Now we also have, you know, if you if you want me to say, uh, you know, actually I was going I was going to show a quote, but this is what the quote was. I was going to say if you want me to prove like, well. Why all of a sudden would Pollard get the passing down snaps? This is what the the reports out of beat camp have been, where he said the Cowboys are all in on the increased usage of Pollard in tandem with Zeke and as a slot receiver. I will say the slot receiver stuff I don't really care a ton about. It's really the the third down snaps and the two-minute drill snaps. said Pollard opened 11-on-11 drills with the first-team offense as slot-wide receiver. He ended practice as the primary third-down back in the two-minute drill with Elliott on the sidelines. That carries over into the season. It's likely that Pollard pays off. Then we have probably the biggest preseason riser at this point Damian Pierce he's getting a ton of steam I think he's a fine pick after the dead zones like round like seven eight I've seen him go in the fourth fifth round I think you guys are absolutely crazy for that but he's a profile that we like right so we talked about the same stuff that applies to Brees Hall where rookie running backs can be hammers down the stretch Damian Pierce has that in his out in his uh you know range as well where he's a rookie running back he's unknown maybe he's more talented than I thought he was coming out and in redraft at this price I can pay a seventh, eighth round pick for Damian Harris. I don't think I'm going to be able to pay that price because people are taking him like fifth, sixth round. But he's a rookie running back. He has juice. He's a good profile. The only issue is that the offense is ceilings a little bit capped with Houston. But I mean, maybe they, you know, outperform expectations. Mills looked decent last year. You know, they have Cooks there. I don't know. I think Pierce is fine as RB24. Once you get to this area, it gets really, you know, touch and go with these guys. But this is the final top 24 rankings for the 2022 season from myself we're going to get the wide receiver rankings out tomorrow and then we're going to get some last second you know my guys must fade type videos out there and on top of that i believe this will be out on tuesday so starting from here on out we are going to be doing daily live streams until the first thursday night football game so be on the lookout for that it's going to be really fun uh we'll be doing an underdog stream later on today so with that being said if you want access to the complete rankings where you can see my top 200 not just my running backs or my wide receivers you can use it to dominate your drafts i'm old school myself so i'll I'll be crossing off my rankings as well as i go so if you want access to the complete rankings that'll be on patreon.com slash ron stewart we're running extremely long here 50 minute episode so with that being said if you enjoyed make sure you down below subscribe leave a like and i will see you guys in the next one I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm home. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my up vagabond. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena for misdemeanor.